do we equip our families with a biblical worldview? How do we prepare the next generation for life? How do I grow in my walk with the Lord and in my marriage? If you wrestle with these questions, you are in the right place to find answers. Welcome to the Entrusting the Faith podcast. Welcome to the Entrusting the Faith podcast. I'm your host, Eric Rutherford, and I'm excited today because I have with me Elizabeth Urbanowitz. She is the founder of Foundation Worldview and the Foundation Worldview Curriculum. And she is just a, she is a follower of Jesus Christ who is passionate about equipping kids to understand the truth of the Christian worldview. Two quick items before we get to our interview. First, if you go to our website at entrustingthefaith.com, scroll down to the bottom, sign up for our weekly emails so you know who is coming up on the podcast for the week and who you may have missed the previous week. Uh, you'll also get a free resource when you do, and you can find all our other podcasts on our website while you're there. Feel free to scroll through them, find other interviews uh, to really help you along the way. Uh, second, this episode is just brought to you by my book, Leading While at Home, How Husbands and Fathers Can Biblically Lead Their Families. So if you've ever thought, man, I want to be a godly husband or father, I don't know where to start, or you've heard that you need to do something to equip your family, but you just don't know where to begin, well, if this is you or you know anybody you know, Leading Well at Home will show you how you can love Jesus Christ, love and serve your wife and children, and take responsibility for discipling your family. You'll be encouraged and given action steps that you can apply so that you're moving forward. Okay, now let's jump into today's episode. Elizabeth, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me on today, Eric. Oh, it is my pleasure. Uh, and I, I was excited because we, I definitely want to, to get into the Foundation Worldview curriculum because it looks, it looks fascinating and just excellent material. And I want the audience to hear about it. Before we jump into that, would you share a little bit about your background, sort of what led up to uh, Foundation Worldview? Yeah, that's a great question. And just similar to, I'm sure a lot of your listeners, you know, this, the way that my life has turned out is not exactly how I planned it, but in God's sovereignty, <laughs> you know, it's turned out exactly as he's seen fit in his good will. And so I began my professional career as an elementary teacher in a Christian school, and I love teaching. That's how God has gifted me. I love getting to build relationships with kids. I love getting to work in a Christian school where I was able to teach the whole truth to my students. And several years into my teaching experience, I noticed somewhat of a problem that most of the students who were in my classroom, they came from great Christian homes. You know, their parents were intentional about discipling them. They were in my classroom. So I knew they were getting a biblically based education all day long. You know, most of them were involved in a local body of Christ, you know, all three important things, but they were still rapidly absorbing ideas from the culture without any question. And the more, the longer I taught, you know, the more technology became prevalent, you know, YouTube was just, you know, kind of getting its feet underneath of it when I first started teaching. But as YouTube and social media and just different streaming apps started to gain speed, I noticed that my students were increasingly, you know, just absorbing these secular ideas. And there was a couple key moments in my classroom where this just came to the front. You know, one, like there was so many that I could name, but just a few that stand out, you know, one afternoon, a few girls in my class, they came in after recess and they said, Miss You, we created a dance at recess. Can we show it to you? And I was like, sure, let me see. And so, you know, they start singing this, 
you know, sassy little Taylor Swift song and do this sassy little dance. And, you know, they were very cute, but I said, you know, I'm so grateful that you're so creative and that you're using dance, you know, out at recess. I said, I have a question for you though. I was like, I want you to think about the words to the song that you just sang to me. I said, you know, Taylor Swift is singing them about a boy. And how did we learn that all humans are created this year? And, you know, they responded with in God's image. And I said, yes, I'm so happy you remember that. I said, now tell me the way that Taylor Swift is singing about this boy, is she treating him like he is created in God's image? You know, and they looked at one another and then they looked at me and they said, no, but it's okay because she's a Christian. And I was like, wait, what? You know, and so we had a conversation about that, you know, then, then another time, um, I was in the middle of teaching a lesson and I was using a projector, you know, to show the, the lesson slides and it went on the fritz. And so I had my, I gave my students an assignment. And before I called the tech team at the school, I thought, you know, like, let me just hop up on the desk, fiddle around with the wires, see if I can get this under control. And so I did that. And while I'm fiddling around with the wires, I hear one of the boys in my classroom say, guys, this is so stressful. We should totally meditate to stay calm. And I was kind of like took me off guard and I'm not, I'm not a really very balanced person or agile person. So I didn't want to fall off the desk. (laughs) So I get my bearings. I step down off the desk. And by the time I'm on the ground, half of my class is on the floor with their arms, with their arms and legs crossed their arms out to the side, their eyes closed. And they're like going, um, you know, Eastern meditation. And I was like, Whoa, everybody time out, everybody get back to your desk. We need to talk about this. You know, and I said, you know, the type of meditation that you were just doing, it's not the type of meditation that's mentioned in God's word. You know, this type of meditation is trying to clear your mind of everything where we're supposed to fill our minds with scripture, you know, and it was just these blank stares. And then the straw that broke the camel's back, um, when I was like, okay, I need to do something. I was teaching handwriting one afternoon and, um, walking around, you know, correcting my students. I think we were working on like the cursive letter J and one of my students had made the loop for the J the wrong way. And I said, oh, sweetie, you know, you made this letter J backwards. That's a, looks like a letter F we need to make the loop go this way. And with all innocence, you know, she just looks up at me, smiles and goes, don't judge me. And I was like, Oh my goodness. Like this cultural lie. And so we talked through like, what does it mean to judge? It means to tell right from wrong. Is there a right way to make the letter J and some wrong ways? Yes. Is it my job as your teacher to, you know, tell you whether or not you're making it correctly? Yes. So what do you know? It's my job to judge you. But that made me realize, wow, you know, like I'm teaching scripture. My students' parents are teaching scripture. The church is teaching scripture, but these students really need help actually in discernment. (laughs) So I just went out on a hunt and I was like, you know, let me teach an after-school class on just discernment. (laughs) And so I went looking for materials for the elementary age, you know, that would just teach like, what are the basic tenets of a biblical worldview? You know, how do we look at all of scripture and see how it speaks to certain subjects like truth and God and life and humanity. And then I also wanted something that would actually expose my students to what do other worldviews teach on these topics and how are they either similar to or different than Christianity so that my students could then be on the lookout for when they heard these messages in culture. And everything I found that did this really started at the high school age, which I was so grateful, you know, that high school materials existed, but I thought, you know, if the eight, nine-year-olds in my classroom are struggling with this now, and we wait until they're 15, 16 years old, like these false ideas are going to be so much more deeply ingrained in them. So I thought, well, you know what, I could just start, you know, creating my own resources. And so that's what I did. You know, I took my knowledge as a teacher and knowledge from books I'd read, and I just started to create, um, you know, some comparative worldview resources for my students. And my goal, I just wanted them, you know, I was like, you know, 
please God, you know, like let them think when they turn on YouTube, you know, or Disney plus or something like that. And they did mom started calling me and saying, you know, my son wants to pause family movie night to evaluate the character's worldview. This is great, but I don't know how to do this. So could you please help me? (laughs) Um, so that happened, but also teachers started coming down to my classroom and saying, how are you getting these kids to think so deeply about mathematics and history and literature and science? Like they're thinking about this more deeply than I ever have. And I said, you know, I'm not teaching them these things, you know, about mathematics history, literature, science, but they're taking these concepts and running with them. And it was so exciting to see. So that was really the the start, you know, of developing curriculum. And I never had any intention of publishing it. You know, like I love teaching. I just thought I would, you know, spend my entire professional career in the classroom. But once word got out of what was going on with these students, people started contacting me and saying, you know, how can we get our hands on these materials? And I was like, I'm sorry, you can't, you know, I'm a third grade teacher. I'm not a publishing house, (laughs) you know, here's, here's some books you can read, you know, and everyone was like, Oh no, thank you. But just let us know when you have it published. So eventually, you know, after this kept happening year after year after year, the Lord me was making clear, you know, Hey, there's a need out there that you're meeting. You need to get these into more hands. So I, while I was teaching, I went back to school. I went back to Biola to get a master's degree in Christian apologetics, you know, just to make sure that I really understood what I was talking, was talking about, you know, and wasn't misleading anybody. And then after I finished that degree, I left teaching to start foundation worldview, which is, um, an organization that creates digital curriculum for families to use in family discipleship for homeschooling families to use in homeschool. And also churches and schools can use it as well. So it's kind of the, you know, a, sh- a short snippet of the journey that God had me on to start foundation worldview. Oh, I love that. I love the I really like how you were teaching from a Christian biblical worldview in your classroom to children who were in Christian families or who had Christian parents who were believers. And yet you saw this pervasive, this seeping in of just wrong ideas, which is both, you know, it it shouldn't surprise me, but yet at the same time, it's, yeah, it's really unpleasant. You know, it's unpleasant to think about, but it doesn't, but it's real, right? It's not simply in, in, in the public school classrooms where all this stuff comes in. It just comes in, it seeps in under, under the edges, so to speak. So I, I really like how you, you went to solve that problem though, not necessarily the way the Lord has, has brought it to be in terms of creating curriculum and, and, and doing it on a, on a much larger scale. Um, so I like that. Now, how does it, how does the curriculum differ based on the child's age? Because you, you have different, uh, different curriculums based on the age. What's that look like? Yeah, that's, that's another good question. And, and one thing that we're passionate about, I mean, there's many things we're passionate about at foundation worldview, but one of the things we're passionate about is understanding how God has designed a child's mind. You know, what are the different stages of development that a child goes through? Because, you know, any of your listeners who work with their children or grandchildren or nieces or nephews, you know, understands that a three-year-old is different than an eight-year-old who's different than a 13-year-old is different than a 21-year-old. So just understanding what are these different stages? 
stages of development. So we do have materials that start as young as four years old. And so in the, in the four to seven or sometimes eight year range, what we do in those materials is we have a lot of body movement involved because, you know, anyone who's worked with a young child knows, you know, that their bodies are very important to them. You know, sometimes they don't have a whole lot of gross motor or fine motor control. You know, that's some things that we're working on, but their bodies have to be involved in their learning. You know, they love to explore. They love to touch. They love to feel, they love to have, you know, like big, loud movements. And so at that age, the materials that we create, um, I teach all of them. And we do, what we do is we make sure we have their bodies involved. For example, in, in our first lesson, we just want to teach them the concept of truth and that truth is what is real. And, you know, as they go along in the, in the upper levels, you know, like they'll learn that truth is what is real because God is the source of truth and God is ultimate reality, you know, and all truth stems from him. But what we do in the first lesson is we want to teach them the difference between something that's true, something that's real and something that's not true. So what we'll do is I'll give them a bunch of sentences. I'll say sentences. And if I say a sentence, that's true, that's something that's real. What they're supposed to do is they're supposed to, you know, lift their arms up and spread them out out and shout at the top of their lungs, true. (laughs) And then if I say something that's not true, like we'll give them like a silly sentence, something like puppies run on the ceiling, you know, something that's going to make them smile. And what they have to do is they have to cross their arms in front of them and shout, not true. You know, so we just get their bodies involved. And at that first, you know, developmental stage, that real four to seven-year-old stage, children, the way God has designed them is they're really not capable yet of considering perspectives outside of their own. You know, any of us who've worked with a child, you know, that age, we know that everything is from their perspective. (laughs) You know, they can only understand things the way that they see them. That's why we need to involve so much correction and redirection at that stage. So what we do at that stage is we don't expose them to competing ideas we just simply expose them and ground them in the truth of God's word, the truth of a biblical worldview. So what we're trying to do in those stages is really dig those roots deep so that they have a solid understanding of the truth. Then once a child reaches, it's usually about eight years of age. Sometimes depending on their development, it could be more nine or closer to 10, but usually generally it starts at eight years of age. Children are able to start considering perspectives outside of their own. They're able to understand, you know, that not everyone sees the world the same way that they do during this stage. That's when we see them become a little bit more, they're not super self-conscious yet, like, you know, teenagers, (laughs) but we start to see them become a little bit more self-conscious because they have an understanding of, oh, others perceive me in a certain way. And that may be a true way or not a true way. So when they reach that stage, that's really the ages when we start to bring in other ideas to say, okay, let's look at what scripture teaches. Okay. This is what scripture teaches. Let's investigate the world around us so that they're discovering, oh, my goodness, what we find in scripture lines up with what we find in the world around us. You know, it's not just, oh, believe the Bible because mom or dad said so. It's like, well, when we actually look at this, we actually can trust that this is God's word because it constantly shows us the truth about reality. And then we also bring in alternate perspectives, like in our third unit, in our comparative worldview curriculum, we actually teach different perspectives on the start 
of life. And so we'll do some fun activities, you know, where we'll have, they'll have to look at, um, like Scrabble tiles that are on a table and some Scrabble tiles are just, you know, mixed up in random order. And then other ones spell out a sentence. Life contains information. And we have them do a little investigation. Like, did these tiles get arranged this way purposefully or accidentally? How do you know? And then, you know what, could this group of words actually have gotten there accidentally? Well, let's try, let's take these Scrabble tiles. Let's put them in a cup. Let's shake them up and dump them out on the table. Are we ever going to get this sentence? No, we're not. So you know what? That tells us that life, that the information in life points to a designer. And then we look at scripture and, you know, how is that designer described? And then we say, okay, so some other worldview, sometimes, you know, you're going to read in textbooks or you're going to see on YouTube, or you're going to hear in conversations. People say that, you know, we just got here by accident. You know, we just got here by accident. Where does the evidence point? You know, it doesn't point towards that. And then we look at, okay, so then how does that impact our view of humans? Well, the way we treat a person is going to be very different if we believe they're an image bearer of the Holy God versus whether we believe they just got here by accident. You know, they're, they're just the accidental product of time and chance. So we start to bring in those different perspectives to get them to think. And then once they reach the 10 to 14 stage, what we do is we actually start to train them at how to systematically break down an idea. So we'll actually teach them, you know, like what are, what are ways that we we have to think carefully. And so we'll give them different statements, you know, cultural mantras, and they'll actually have to evaluate. Okay. Does this idea line up with what's true? What is the evidence that's supporting this idea? Because we, you know, the, the mind is not the only area necessary for discipleship. Absolutely not. You know, that we need hearts that have our affections stirred towards God. We need hands, you know, that are trained to do the things of God. And we need minds that are equipped to discern truth from error. So we do in foundation world, we focus a whole lot on the mind, not because it's the most important, not because it's more important than the other areas, but just because sometimes that is the, um, the most difficult area to train simply because of the vast quantities of information that we're presented with on a daily basis. So that's what we try to do at foundation world. We just really understand how God has designed children and then to develop resources that meet them in that developmental need. I like that. I like the spectrum and meeting them where they're at, helping them understand each of those facets and then be able to apply it at what, at their appropriate age level. Yes. Um, so what, what makes understanding truth and what is true so important informing a biblical worldview because you mentioned truth several times and and it is it is absolutely you know it's critical and yet that's not what our our world and culture teach so i would i'd just love to hear why is truth so important and what is true not not any truth but what is true why is that so important Right. Well, you know, you know, understanding truth has, has always been important. You know, I mean, even if you're thinking about in ancient societies, you know, where, where there was so much less technology, you know, understanding the truth about whether, is there a wild animal in the bushes or not, you know, very important, (laughs) you know, life-saving, you know, understanding, especially, you know, in, in societies where governments were more ruthless, you know, understanding the truth about what are the rules that need to be followed. You know, there's, there's grave consequences to not understanding that. So truth has always been important. You know, I mean, even just thinking back to the garden, you know, that was really Satan's first question, you know, did God really 
say. So he was questioning both the truth of this claim and also questioning the truth of God's goodness. You know, when Adam and Eve chose to believe a lie about God (laughs) and they chose to believe a lie about themselves, you know, and we've been dealing with the repercussions of that ever since. So, so knowing truth and following truth has always been important because Jesus is the truth. He's the embodiment of truth and truth stems from God because God is the source of truth and truth has always, you know, been of the same importance, you know, from the beginning to now, however, the way in which we train our children to discern and follow truth is slightly different today than it has been in the past. And there's several factors that play into this. The first is the vast quantity of information that we are presented with. You know, the internet is a great tool that has been used for so much good. You know, I mean, Eric, right now you and I are using the internet, you know, to, to be able to record this. And there's so many great things that come along with this web that connects us all. And with it also comes so much, so many evil things and also so much misinformation. So when we think about the world in which our children are growing up in one year of their life, they will be presented with more truth claims, more supposed information than most people throughout human history have been confronted with in their entire lives. And so the training that we need to do for our children to, to equip them to live faithfully in this culture is different than it has been in the past. We're also living in a time culturally where subjective emotions have been placed culturally ahead of objective truths. You know, emotions are have being emotional beings is part of being created in God's image. Now we're emotional beings post the fall, which means that our emotions do not always point us to truth. There are some times when our emotions point us away from truth. So we need to make sure that we're equipping our kids to understand the difference between truth with, which is objective. And what I mean by that is, I mean, the truth of something cannot be changed by my inner desires. Okay. Today, when we're recording this, it is Wednesday. You know, I might wish with my whole heart that it was Friday today so that tomorrow would be the weekend, but my desire, you know, for tomorrow to be the weekend has no control over the days of the week. Okay. It's just my inner world. And so we really need to equip our kids in this cultural moment to understand the difference between their emotions, which are going to constantly be changing. Sometimes these emotions are going to be pointing them towards truth. Sometimes they're not. And then objective truths about reality, like the objective claims of God's word, like Christianity, either Jesus rose from the dead or he didn't, you know, and if he rose from the dead, That changes everything. And if he didn't, we are wasting our time as the apostle Paul says in first Corinthians 15. So we want to just equip our kids to understand the difference between objective truths and subjective emotions, because so much in our culture is going to tell them if you feel it, it's true. If someone doesn't affirm the way you feel that person hates you, or that person is, you know, that person is oppressing you. And so we just want to equip them to know the difference between that. So just understanding the cultural moment that we're in and what we need to do to equip our kids to understand what is true. I appreciate those distinctions, especially that, that 
classification of the subjective versus objective, mm-hmm. because I, I totally agree. And I think we get too caught up in this theoretical knowledge, sort of almost philosophical idea of what's truth too much out in, out in our culture. And yet we don't live in, we live in such a way that there is absolute truth. Yes. Uh, and, and because you lock your car door because you know if you don't <laughs> that there, there's a possibility for theft. You you don't uh, you don't go play in traffic because you know <laughs> bad yes. things can happen. And so, but I think we forget that. Or I think culture and education, a lot of other sources they ignore that and they try to go almost mm. too philosophical but unfortunately that like you say that's where we're that's where we're at that's that's a cultural moment where we're at so i appreciate you pointing to objective truth because truth is it is objective there is mm-hmm. there is no doubt and then a little bit you also point i was look at your curriculum looks fascinating you also talk a little about about worship and I think mm-hmm. non-believers, I think, often think they don't worship anything. Or, and then many believers, I think, they get confused and think, well, worship is the music on Sunday mornings, or or sort of that that whole thing. But what what is worship? How does that come into our worldview? Because I think it's it's not simply a if you have a Christian biblical worldview, there is worship. But other worldviews and have worship. What's that look like? What um, what makes worship so important, and how does that affect our worldview? Yeah. Well, the way that we explain it to children is we say that whatever we worship, we're saying to that thing, "You are what is most important." So you know, like we don't we don't a lot of times in the West we don't actually bow our bodies down before anything, you know, that's not really part of our culture where in the past, you know, worship has involved a lot of, you know, bowing down before something, but we say, you know, the attitude of our heart and our minds bow down before something or someone. And so we're always viewing something or someone as most important, you know, and that shows in the way that we live our lives. And so what we do in, in one of our curriculums and our comparative worldview curriculum is we actually give the kids possible objects of worship. Um, and we say, okay, how would someone's life, what would someone's life look like if they worshiped this thing, if they believed that this thing was the most important. And we give them examples like sports, school, ourself, our family. And we talk about, you know, what would someone's life look like if they thought that this thing was the most important? And then we talk about God, what would someone's life look like if they thought that God was the most important so that they can actually see, okay, how does this actually affect our day in and day out? Because, you know, as Christians, it is our goal to worship God and God alone, where if we're honest, knowing that we still have a sin nature and that we are tempted all of the time, if we take an honest look throughout our day, there are many different objects of worship that we have in our day. And I mean, even if we're 
honest looking at a lot of the Christian music music that's available during worship times at church, a lot of the music is actually worshiping ourselves. We're talking about how we're feeling and, you know, like what the reality is for us, you know, rather than actually singing and speaking the truth over ourselves of who God is and what he has done. So worship, understanding the concept of worship is so important. Number one, so that we and our children can really be evaluating in any and every situation, who am I, who or what am I worshiping in this moment? And then, so our children can constantly be evaluating when they hear claims in the culture, who or what is this person worshiping? Cause I mean, even just go down any grocery store aisle or, you know, go to target or Walmart. And you will notice that most of the products that are being sold have some sort of messaging on them. Like you are worth it. You deserve this. And what these companies are doing is they're really worshiping themselves because they want more money. And what they're doing is they're then feeding into the object of worship of most people in our culture, which is the God of self. So if we can, you know, educate our kids on this, we can then have these discussions, you know, when we're in the grocery store or when we see a billboard, I was just, where was I? I think I was, I was in Orlando, uh, last week. And I just, you know, I noted it was a billboard for a, a tanning salon. And I was like, why would you need a tanning salon in Orlando? Like just go outside any day. <laughs> but it said, because you are so worth it. And I was like, there it is, you know, bowing to the God of self, because I clearly, you know, I'm just worth this tan skin. (laughs) So that's just a really important concept to cover with our kids. And even, you know, to speak that truth over our own hearts daily as well. I like that, that, that worship is basically saying, this is what is most important. Do you, as you've interacted with families, with kids, as you're going through this, do they ever have like an aha moment when they're like, oh, like what's most important? Oh, now I get, do they have those moments or is it just sort of a, an ongoing understanding development? I was just curious it, it, what, what you've seen. Yeah, well, I can speak to this from my own personal experience in the classroom teaching this and then from, you know, what people write in because, you know, I'm not, you know, you know, thousands and thousands of people use our materials, you know, so there are many instances that I, that I'm not privy to, but when I was teaching this with my own students, it was just a great opportunity to start cultivating this language and then to have these conversations throughout the day, because, you know, once I had established this concept of this is what worship is, and then, you know, who are we worshiping then? And, you know, that was able to be a regular classroom discussion. And I think where it was the real aha moment for a lot of my students was I made sure that I then used this language at times when I had to correct them or to discipline them so that it wasn't just behavior modification. It wasn't like, okay, you did this, this was wrong. Here's your punishment. We were actually able to have the conversation. Okay. So when you told this lie about another person in our class, or when you excluded her, or when I gave you this set of directions and you chose to do this other thing, who or what were you worshiping in that moment? You know, so it wasn't like a, you're a bad person, you know, how could you do this? Change your behavior. It was like, okay, what was the object of worship in your heart? And that was an aha moment um, for, for, I know for a lot of my students, but even one of them on the last day of school, 
sometimes I think, you know, God gives it, you know, especially in discouraging situations, sometimes, you know, God gives us these little glimmers of hope. Um, and that one year I had a really, really difficult group of students and I felt like I was just a police officer all day long. You know, like I felt like I wasn't even able to develop real relationships with the students because I was just managing their behavior. And my prayer all throughout the year was, you know, God just in, in these everyday moments, like, please, number one, let the kids have a deeper, come away from my classroom, having a deeper understanding of who you are and please let them understand what's going on in their hearts and who or what they are worshiping. And, you know, it was the last day of school. And on the last day of school, I would always call up my students one at a time. And they'd sit in this special chair that I never let anybody sit in all year long. And we just spent some time as a class saying things that we appreciated about that student. Well, that year, once we got to the end, I was wrapping things up and my class was like, wait, what about you? And I was like, oh, Oh, no, no, we're not going to do me. And they're like, that's not fair. And I was like, okay. You know, so I sat in the chair and they were a rowdy group of kids, you know, so a bunch of them said like, you know, silly third grade things. Like, I really appreciate your face. You know, it's like, oh, great. I have zero control over that. Um, <laughs> but the last two students, I was like, oh God, you're so kind to me. One of them, she said, you know, when I came into third grade, I knew a lot of Bible verses, but I didn't really know a lot about who God was. And I know a lot about who God is this year. And I was like, oh, thank you, Lord. And then the next student <laughs> said, he was like, so, you know, when you were disciplining me like all day, every day. And I was like, yeah, yeah. I have very clear memories of that. <laughs> he was like, well, I'm really thankful that you helped me see what was going on in my heart and what I was worshiping and that it wasn't actually God. And I was just like, okay, Lord, clearly you put those words in his mouth, you know, cause this is not a typical nine-year-old's response, but I was able to see that, you know, by having these conversations and then by circling back to them every day, you know, that was something that really stuck with them. Who or what am I worshiping in this moment? You know, and now, um, we get, you know, people that write in, you know, to share stories about how they see this you know, going on in the classroom. And so I don't necessarily have a story about um, students realizing who or what they're worshiping, but somebody wrote in recently to uh, tell us that they were, they were trying out, they just moved and they were trying out different churches in the area and their daughters went to Sunday school and some child in the Sunday school class, like this was not the lesson at all, but some child in the Sunday school class asked the teacher, so do Christians and Muslims worship the same God? And the teacher didn't know how to respond. So the mom told me that, you know, her, her nine-year-old daughter clearly has, uh, is very bold, <laughs> you know, cause a lot of kids would just sit there, but her nine-year-old daughter apparently raised her hand, um, and stood up and said, you know, no Christians and Muslims do not worship the same God. And she went through and outlined all of the characteristics of God as he's portrayed in the Bible versus the characteristics of Allah as he's portrayed in the Quran and how the two don't align as objects of worship. <laughs> and so the mom says she was just so grateful, you know, that her daughter had gone through these materials to learn about different objects of worship, you know, so that she would very clearly understand that no, you know, Christians and Muslims do not worship the same God. So just love, you know, kids are capable of so much more than we give them credit for. And just, just love these situations. <laughs> that, that is beautiful. That is. And I, I agree. It's sometimes we don't realize all that they pick up. And mm -hmm. all that the Lord really works in them during those moments. So um, I appreciate you, you sharing those stories because I think we, we need to hear them, right? We need to be mm -hmm. reminded that, yes, this matters. And yes, um, understanding what is true and understanding what, what we worship, that's like a moment by moment thing, right? Mm -hmm. On any given moment, we can be either worshiping God or worshiping self or worshiping any, yeah. any of a dozen things. And it's very subtle 
in and Satan uses that, right? He he uses yes. that to just get us off track, just just a little, and then a little more, and then suddenly you're going in a completely wrong direction. Um, now, just before we wrap up here, one question because I think you've got you have some new material coming out later this year. Is that true? Uh, yes. Would you? Are, is it? Is this like top secret or? Is that <laughs> no, you, it's not. <laughs> is that something you can you can share with our audience? I was just curious because sometimes it's like, no, we can't say anything. You know, <laughs> there's a big reveal like August first, but no more, nothing until then. So, would you would you share with us a bit? Yeah, well, that's the great thing about owning the company is uh, I get to make those decisions. So no, it's not top secret. <laughs> Um, so yes, yeah, so I am super excited for the new curriculum that we have coming out. Um, so the first curriculum that we have coming out, it's going to be called foundation studying the Bible curriculum. And what it is, is it's actually, um, it's a basic hermeneutics curriculum for kids, which we wouldn't call it foundation hermeneutics curriculum. Cause then nobody would buy it. Um, but <laughs> just really excited about that because this is another thing that comes actually from my years teaching in that I, you know, I love teaching scripture and I would always teach my students, you know, these engaging and interactive Bible lessons. And one afternoon, as I was teaching Bible to my students, you know, they were really excited and engaged in the lesson. And I looked around my classroom and I just had this thought, what are they going to do over the summer when I'm not here to plan lessons for them? And I knew exactly what the answer to that question was nothing. <laughs> and so in that moment, I immediately shifted my game plan and I stopped planning lessons and I started teaching them how to read, interpret, and apply scripture on their own. And to my shock, they loved it. They didn't find it boring. And so many of them took those skills and then decided on their own to read through the entire Bible on their own, you know, so then the next years as I would be doing cafeteria duty, on Fridays, you know, different students who were in my class in the past would be like, miss you. I'm in Jeremiah, miss you. I'm in Acts, miss you. I'm almost done. I'm in revelation. And I was like, Whoa, this is so neat. And so just really what we want to do is we want to equip kids to read scripture and to interpret it well. So the new curriculum is broken up into three different units of 10 lessons. Each the first 10 lessons go through the big story of the Bible. And so we actually go through and we have them, we, we teach them the entire story of scripture. We have them put together timeline cards, like every single lesson so that they're memorizing the big timeline of the Bible. They understand anytime they hear a passage of scripture, whether it's with their family or in church or somewhere else, they can mentally put that on the timeline. Like where does this fit into God's big story? We have them actually diving in and reading significant portions of scripture. Um, for any struggling readers, we give um, advice for how they can read larger portions of scripture too. The second group of 10 lessons goes through basic skills that any person needs to soundly understand scripture. So the first thing we go over is always read verses in context. And so we just give them a bunch of different verses that are typically taken incorrectly out of context. And we give them an example and we say, you know, Hey, you hear somebody quote this verse and they say this, then they evaluate what, do, what does this person think this verse means? Okay. Let's now go in and read this verse in context, read several verses before it, several verses after when we understand the context, what is this verse actually saying? Okay. So then, you know, like they understand that. Then we go through what's the difference between a decent descriptive text and a prescriptive text. You know, there are texts that are simply describing narratives that are moving God's story along. And then there are prescriptive texts that are actually telling people to do something. You know, the story of David and Goliath, how does this fit into God's big narrative? This is a descriptive 
text. So this text is not telling us to do anything, you know? So someone who says, you know, you need your five smooth stones of pair prayer and power and perseverance. Like, no, they're just making that up. You know, like, what is this story actually teaching? Let's look at it in the bigger narrative. And then in prescriptive text, is this prescriptive for everyone? Like, is this prescriptive for us or was it just for the specific person or group of people that were being talked to? So we go through a bunch of different skills like that. Then the last group of 10 lessons is all about genre and how do we correctly read biblical genres? You know, how do we read history different than we read prophecy and how do we read poetry, you know, different than we read biography just so that they're having the basic skills that they need. And what I'm super excited about is I know a lot of parents have even contacted us and said, whoa, like, we're not exactly sure how to do this. And we're like, that's exactly why we created these, <laughs> these materials. You know, all the teaching is done for you. If you don't know much about this, you can, you know, pull up a chair and learn alongside your children. So super excited um, for that, just to really equip kids to read and interpret and apply God's word. And then after that, we have an early childhood worldview curriculum out. So up until this point, we've just had a mini series for four to seven-year-olds. We were just kind of testing it out, you know, seeing, is there a need for this? Do people find these materials? effective. And, uh, we have had more people purchase and implement that curriculum than all of our other materials combined. And so we said, okay, clearly there's a need for it. So we just in the past have had three lessons out on truth and coming out this fall, we actually have 25 lessons on, you know, a biblical worldview that involves lots of body movements, lots of reciting, you know, just lots of things that, that are really meeting young ones right where they're at. So super excited for these materials to come out. Wow, I'm pumped. I the the hermeneut, the I'm sorry, <laughs> the foundation study curriculum. Man, that that just said, I mean, that just makes my heart glad because uh we teach my wife and I, we have been a part of a, a sixth grade class at, at our mm. church the last five years. And yeah, what you're talking about, descriptive versus prescriptive, and what's the genre set and all of those, but those are, I mean, that's how you read scripture, right? Mm-hmm. You you have to read it and and my, my children laugh every time they hear the word context thrown out <laughs> there because they just look at me and laugh like we're sitting in church service. They're like, because, yeah, because that's something I've, I've, I've preached them over the years. So I'll mm. never forget, I don't think. But but it's so important because like you can take you can get some crazy ideas when you take stuff out of context. Oh, and, yes. <laughs> and we have enough Christian T-shirts and Christian wrong thinking and teaching because of yes. that. So this is huge. I love it. Um, just one one more thing, and then, then we'll wrap up, is any takeaways for families, people listening, like any one thing you'd like to either encourage them with or challenge them with just as a, as a takeaway item? Mm. Well, first off, I just always love to tell parents who are listening to, you know, to, to resources like this, just you should be encouraged because you're intentionally investing your time. You know, I mean, there, there are many parents out there who are not investing their time in this way. And so I just think you should, you know, I know parenting is hard and I know it can be really discouraging. And I know, especially when parents are intentional, the enemy really likes to discourage them. And so just want to encourage you to take heart, you know, that as you are seeking the Lord through his word, you know, and prayer, as you're continuing to seek out resources, you know, like podcasts like this, you know, God is going to continue you equipping you. And so just want to, first of all, say that encouragement. And then the second thing, just as a reminder, um, 
You know, our goal in anything with our children should be to eventually foster independence. You know, we don't want our children living with us, you know, unless there are strange circumstances when they're 35, you know, we don't want to still be cooking them breakfast every morning when they're 25, you know, we're always striving for independence. And so what we seek to do is we seek to give them skills that they can transfer into any life context in which they find themselves. And we need to make sure in our discipleship that that is our goal as well, that we are not creating dependence upon ourselves. that everything we're doing in our intentional discipleship of our children, we should be striving for independence. Not that they're going to be these lone ranger Christians, you know, scripture is very clear that we need the body of Christ. We're called to be a part of the body of Christ, but that they're not going to be dependent on us for being able to understand scripture, for being able to evaluate ideas, for being able to develop relationships with those in the body of Christ. So would just really encourage all parents, you know, just to take this paradigm that we use in every other area of raising our children and make sure that we are striving for independence, that we're giving our kids these skills that they can then take and implement in any context in which they find themselves. I appreciate that. And as, as a parent and, you know, with, with children of varying ages, you know, that, that's something I tell myself, remind myself and is that's the goal, right? We're not raising, Mm. our goal is not to raise children, it's to raise adults. It's how do we equip them to then be uh, not only, not only, you know, part of culture, but, but effective Christ followers and and Lord willing, Mm. praying that the Lord does that work in them. Uh, So I appreciate that, that encouragement, just just if, if no one else takes it from it, I, I've been encouraged by it. So I, 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 but I know the audience will too. So for every uh, listeners who want to know more about what you're doing, where to find your, your materials, where would you like them to go? Yes. If you go to our website, it's foundationworldview.com. So just foundationworldview.com. You can find all of our free resources, our webinars, our blog posts. We have a monthly book club. Um, and then we have our curriculum there as well. Excellent. So foundationworldview.com. So we will make sure that information is in the show notes so you can check it out. Um, And they have some great resources and just get equipped to just a better walk and and equip our children uh, and disciple them. So Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been been a pleasure uh, learning not only about foundation worldview, uh, but just being encouraged about the whole journey. Of, of discipleship. So I really appreciate that. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on, Eric. If you found this episode helpful, please leave a review for us wherever you listen to podcasts. Doing so will help others to find us. Uh, check out the show notes for resource information. We encourage you to do that for links and other references. We'd like to hear from you so you can message us your questions or comments on Facebook, Instagram, at Entrust in the Faith, you can email us at info at entrustingthefaith.com. If you go to our website, which is www.entrustingthefaith.com, uh, you can sign up to our email list and receive free resources as well as upcoming podcast episode information. So check it out. Lastly, just remember, legacies are built a day at a time. So start now.